From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, uveal melanomas, the broad view. The the most important take-home message here is that whereas previously we lumped all melanomas together, now we know that there are these two types, good and bad. And whereas previously we treated the big tumors more aggressively, and now still it is the patients with the big melanoma that are treated most aggressively. Perhaps we're doing the wrong thing, and it should be the small melanomas that should deserve the greatest priority and the greatest urgency. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. D'Amato declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Over the course of these podcasts, we've heard from two authorities on uveal melanoma. Paul Finger has discussed PET scanning, and Arun Singh has spoken about small pigmented choroidal lesions. To give us a broad perspective on the subject, I have Bertel D'Amato with me today. He comes to us from the Royal Liverpool University Hospital. How common is uveal melanoma? Uveal melanoma affects about six people per million per year. And um, it usually occurs in adults. It always occurs in adults. And... um, the incidence increases with age, peaking at around 60. Now, these lesions are generally sporadic. How common are genetic predispositions to uveal melanoma? They're very rare. Occasionally, one sees um, two members of the same family, and uh, there have been families described with um, several members, but uh, that's very rare. Is the clinical presentation for these patients different if the etiology is a genetic predisposition as opposed to the more common sporadic uveal melanoma? Some say that uh, it occurs in younger people, but uh, it's so rare that uh, I'm not too sure about that. And are these families that tend to have other sorts of cancers too? Um, Some of them do, yes. But... um, the genetic changes that have created greatest interest in the past few years are somatic mutations, which occur in the tumor itself and not systemically. On a molecular level, are there identifiable genetic loci? Indeed, there are, yes. What tends to happen is that you get abnormalities in uh, certain chromosomes, particularly chromosome 3 chromosome 8, chromosome 6, chromosome 9, and so on. And um, they're quite characteristic. With chromosome 3, you tend to get a a loss of of one of the chromosomes, monosomy 3. And it can be either complete, it's usually complete, or it can be partial. With uh, chromosome 8, 
you get um, an isochromosome 8Q. You get a gain in the long arm of chromosome 8, either by duplication so that you have a chromosome with two sets of long arms instead of long arms and short arms, or you can have a trisomy 8 with three chromosome 8s instead of two. And then in chromosome 6, you have an isochromosome 6P, so that instead of having uh, long arms and short arms, you have um, just short arms. And these have a profound impact on the prognosis for survival. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, if you have uh, loss of chromosome 3, then your chances of surviving five years diminish from about uh, 90% plus to less than 50%, depending on the size of the tumor. And um, if you have an abnormality in chromosome 6, specifically the short arm of chromosome 6, as I've just said, then uh, it's very rare to have a loss of chromosome 3. So an abnormality in chromosome 6 indicates an excellent prognosis. In your paper with Arun Singh from the Cleveland Clinic, you broke the genetic aspects of uveal melanoma into three categories, into a sort of a clinical category in which you're describing families with members who tend to have these sorts of lesions, into the genetic somatic lesions, and into the category of chromosomal abnormalities. That's right. Dr. Singh uh, wrote the part of the paper with hereditary mutations. I didn't have anything to do with that part of the paper. I focused on the somatic chromosomal mutations, which are of prognostic value. That's how we worked together to produce that article. Do we understand what the underlying pathophysiology is that's affected by these lesions? No, we don't, really, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, But melanomas, which have um, monosomy 3, loss of chromosome 3, tend to be of the epithelioid type instead of the low-grade spindle cell type. They also tend to show aggressive extravascular matrix patterns known as closed loops. These show up with special PAS stains on on, on microscopy. And they've also got a higher mitotic rate so they tend to be much more aggressive, much, they tend to be of a high-grade variety, these monosomy 3 melanomas. Whereas the dysomy 3 melanomas tend to be slower growing and less aggressive with spindle cell type, low mitotic rate, and without the closed loops. What are the current treatment options for uveal melanomas? Well, um, previously it was just a nucleation of all patients. But now this has been superseded by methods aimed at conserving the eye with as much useful vision as possible. And in most places, the first choice of treatment is brachytherapy with a radioactive plaque containing either radioactive iodine in the United States mostly or uh, ruthenium, which is more popular in Europe. There are other isotopes, but they're not widely used. And then there's proton beam radiotherapy uh, delivered with a cyclotron, and there's about a dozen or so uh, cyclotrons around the world. The number is increasing from year to year. 
Then there's a laser treatment, specifically transpupillary thermal therapy, where you have a, an infrared beam, diode laser beam, directed at the tumor for about a minute. And then there's various methods of local resection. And uh, these can be either transscleral or transretinal or transvitreal. The transretinal um, resection is very controversial because you chop the tumor up into bits and then hopefully you suck up all the bits away. And so it's used as a secondary form of treatment after radiotherapy, for instance. And primary transcleral resection consists of uh, operations such as iridectomy, iridocyclectomy, partial choroidectomy, and so on. You've written a good deal about eyewall resection. Can I have you describe this procedure in a little more detail? Yes, it's really like a giant trabeculectomy done in the wrong place, done over the choroid. And what you do is split the sclera into two layers, and you create a scleral window, and you dissect the choroid around the tumor without damaging retina, and uh, lift the tumor out of the eye using the deep scleral lamella as a, as a handle, and then you suture the sclera shut again. And uh, because the uvea is so vascular, it's necessary to do this with profound systemic hypotensive anesthesia, lowering the systolic blood pressure to about 40 or 50 millimeters of mercury for about an hour or two. You recently published a study on outcomes uh, with this technique. Can you describe that study for us? Well, basically, I followed up uh, all my patients and have reported on... Uh, Actually, it's a series of papers reporting vision, local tumor control, ocular conservation, survival, and uh, retinal detachment. And um, the main outcomes are that um, in eyes which we consider to be unsuitable for radiotherapy because of large tumor size, it is, uh, in selected cases, usually possible to save the eye with useful vision. By, um, by selected cases, I mean patients whose tumor we consider to be too large for radiotherapy, but um, where the tumor is not larger than about 15, not greater than about 15 or 16 millimeters in diameter, uh, not perforating the retina, not diffuse, and not showing massive extraocular extension. How large was the study group for this study? Well... I can't uh, remember exactly, but it's about 400 patients that I've done, give or take. Are there different patients who are better suited to different resection techniques? Well, one might expect that uh, if you're going to lower the blood pressure, it's um, best to do the operation in young individuals. But um, counterintuitively, it is the older patients where the operation is easier because the bleeding stops without such profound hypotension. So there's really no upper age limit and no lower age limit. The operation is more likely to um, result in complications if the tumor extends very close to the optic disc or if the tumor is very thick because if it's more than about seven millimeters in thickness, it's more likely to have invaded retina. So it's difficult to separate the two structures. You have to choose between either leaving a bit of tumor behind or making retinotomy, which then requires further surgery. 
Berto, do you have any take-home messages for us? Yes, our approach to uh, uveal melanomas is changing profoundly as a result of uh, insights provided by cytogenetic studies and molecular biology. Previously, all uveal melanomas were lumped together in one group, but now we know that there's basically two types of uveal melanoma. There are the good melanomas, which apparently don't kill any patients at all, or very rarely, and the bad melanomas with monosomy 3, which seem to kill all patients, which are always fatal, it seems. So that's a, a really important uh, finding. There was a study from Germany in 96, Pressure et al., which showed that, and we've confirmed that, and others have confirmed the same findings, and there's such a dramatic difference between these two melanomas that uh, we're treating two quite different diseases. So for this reason, we've been um, doing cytogenetic studies on all patients who've had local resection or, or enucleation since uh, around 1999, and we've, uh, we've got data on more than 500 patients now. And it really does seem that uh, the cytogenetics profoundly influence survival. So it's really important. We, we've, we, we've, this has totally changed our practice because when we do our cytogenetic studies, if we find that the tumor is of the diastomy 3 type, the low-grade type, a good melanoma, we can tell the patient, oh, congratulations, well done, you've got a good melanoma. Your life expectancy is more or less the same as the average pop, as a general population. Uh, no tests are absolutely foolproof. That's why we can't give you a 100% guarantee, but there's a, over 90% chance of, of your, your surviving to ripe old age. On the other hand, if it's a, di if it's a monosomy 3 melanoma, then we have to arrange for the patient to receive appropriate counseling, to be informed of their prognosis, and uh, to attend uh, a general oncologist for further care for six monthly liver scans and biochemical liver function tests and hopefully one day for adjuvant therapy once a good drug comes along or sooner hopefully for inclusion in a trial on adjuvant therapy. So there's two totally different forms of management according to the type of melanoma. And it seems that uh, the ocular treatment only has ocular effects and uh, rarely, if ever, influences survival. That's the, that's the hypothesis that, that it's not yet confirmed, but there's a growing circumstantial evidence that ocular treatment of uveal melanoma does not influence survival, except perhaps in those patients with a very small tumor. In those patients, perhaps the tumor hasn't yet metastasized. And, and um, that's, uh, that's very important because there's a general tendency to treat large melanomas more aggressively and small melanomas less aggressively. In fact, it's accepted practice to observe small melanomas as long as you call them suspicious nevus or something like that. But those might be the very patient's who need the most urgent treatment because it might be those patients where ocular treatment can save a life. 
And those are the patients who are being observed um, without treatment for months or years. Whereas patients having a large tumor, it's too late. The ocular treatment is, is only palliative. Whether it makes a difference in if the tumor has already started to metastasize, if the tumor has already metastasized, whether any ocular treatment improves survival by by stopping the the spread of tumor cells to the liver and reducing the metastatic burden in the liver, nobody knows. Uh, we don't know that yet. That's something that needs to be looked at. So all this new information is really changing the way we treat patients and, and, and manage them in general. Having said that the effect of ocular therapy is primarily local, does, does that mean that regardless of whether the patient has an abnormality in chromosome 3 or does not, that you manage them the same from an ocular therapeutic standpoint? That's right. From an ocular point of view, we need to, we usually treat patients in the same way because uh, if the recurrence occurs, then that's going to need further treatment, which will cause lots of ocular morbidity and so on. But um, whether recurrence, whether local recurrence influences survival isn't really known. A local recurrence is associated with a higher mortality, but whether it contributes to the mortality or whether the recurrence is merely an indicator that the original tumor at the time of initial presentation was more aggressive is not known. One of the points that you made is that it, it is conceivable that addressing smaller lesions before they have become metastatic uh, might be beneficial. When you see patients with smaller lesions whom you've determined to have an abnormality in chromosome 3, are you more likely to recommend uh, surgical therapy for those patients as opposed to conservative therapy as opposed to just watching them? The management of patients with a small melanocytic tumor is extremely difficult. Everybody finds it difficult because whereas previously we just used to watch these patients quite happily because we thought that these tumors were not life-threatening. Now we're not so sure and we don't know when metastases start to occur, when metastasis starts to occur, when the process of metastasis starts to occur. So if we delay treatment, we don't know whether we're harming our patients. On the other hand, if we treat all patients, then an awful lot of patients are going to lose vision and perhaps sacrifice the eye when they don't have a life-threatening tumor because most small lesions are not, most small melanomas are not life-threatening. That is, if they are melanomas and not nevi. So we have to speak to these patients at length to find out what kind of personality they have, what, whether they're risk-takers or not, what their priorities are. And depending on how they feel, then we would either observe or treat if possible, conserving the eye with as much vision as possible, or biopsy. But the trouble with biopsy is that it's very difficult to get an adequate sample from a very small tumor, much more difficult than with a large tumor. We can get a, a much larger sample, especially if you use a 25-VH vitrector. The, the most important take-home message here 
is that whereas previously we lumped all melanomas together, now we know that there are these two types, good and bad. And whereas previously we treated the big tumors more aggressively, and now still it is the patients with the big melanoma that are treated most aggressively. Perhaps we're doing the wrong thing, and it should be the small melanomas that should deserve the greatest priority and the greatest urgency. And so that's a profound change that is occurring within uh, ocular oncology at the moment. Bertel, thank you very much. Delighted. Great pleasure. Bertel D'Amato is Professor of Ophthalmology at the Royal Liverpool University Hospital in Liverpool, United Kingdom. We discussed the paper, The Role of Eyewall Resection in Uveal Melanoma Management, which appeared in International Ophthalmology Clinics in the winter 2006 issue, and Uveal Melanoma Genetic Aspects, which appeared in Ophthalmology Clinics of North America in the March 2005 issue. Ask questions of Dr. D'Amato or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial, area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial, 020-7558-8275. Or Skype, JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website, asseenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.